This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, hey, this morning we are continuing our way through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. If not, uh, those will be on the screen for you. But Acts chapter 10 um, is is a really incredible story. It's a big story, so we're going to take a couple weeks to work our way through it. But this morning, um, it's you know there, in Acts there are some really fun sermons that we get to preach. Like last week, we get to talk about how miracles and resurrection still happen. Next week, we're going to talk about salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit and how that's still poured out on everyone, and yet Acts is the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And sometimes as the church, there are things in our life, maybe even things in our community, that God has to confront and he has to lead us out of. And those aren't always really uh, fun experiences for us. And so, so last week, our faith was built that God still does miracles and his resurrection power is still at work. Next week, we're going to celebrate that God is still saving men and women and filling them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, in between those two, we're going to get slapped in the face and see what the scriptures teach us about eliminating prejudice. So it's, it's not one of those, like, I would almost guarantee there's not a single person that woke up this morning and thought, I really hope when I go to church that I am, uh, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll be called a racist. Uh, Maybe I'll be told I'm discriminatory. Maybe I'll be told there's prejudice that resides in my heart. Maybe I'll be confronted by the wickedness of my sin and of my, my family and some of the traditions. And maybe I'll be reminded of how far I am away from God's ideal. It's not what we long for. And yet sometimes it's just what the scriptures do to us. And so uh, my encouragement to you this morning would be that um, God loves you enough to work in the deepest parts of your heart. And so there's, there's no one here that's exempt. Uh, if you see that title behind me and think, yeah, go get them, that's for all these people around me, um, my goal is by the end that we will all acknowledge this is a space where we need God to work and a place where he can bring deep and lasting transformation to us. Okay, so Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 23, and then before we jump in as well, just my my disclaimer today is um, if you get upset today, uh, you are not getting upset about a political message or a hot-button word. What you're really getting mad at is the Spirit-inspired scriptures. So uh, don't send me your emails about how when we talk about prejudice, it's because you know how I vote. Because you don't, and it doesn't matter, right? This morning, we are anchored in the scriptures, and the scriptures are what teach us that the follower of Christ must eliminate prejudice from their heart. Um, and so, so again, just if your problem um, is, is not with me, it's with the Bible. Um, and and I, I just, I can't help you with that one, right? So um, I guess it would be like Holy Spirit at ChristianChapel.com is where you, where you want to just... Go ahead and direct those complaints to, um, and we may set that up after service so that I can respond to you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says there's some stuff he wants you to fix, right? No, we, we won't, we will not ever do that, actually. But um, today we're going to work through it, we're just kind of, kind of verse by verse as we go along. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. 
Now, it doesn't sound like it, but the opening verse of Acts chapter 10 is a declaration of the reality of prejudice. So we've got to to do a little bit of work to understand what's happening here. So first of all, it says at Caesarea. Caesarea is, or Caesarea, however you want to say it, right? That's probably actually the right way. Uh, Caesarea is a city in Israel that had been rebuilt by Herod the Great. Herod rebuilt Caesarea as an object or a city in honor of Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. In addition to naming the city after him to reflect back on Caesar, he also built a temple in Caesarea dedicated to the worship of Caesar Augustus. And so it's a city in Israel dedicated to worshiping a foreign power and named after him. In addition to that, by the time of of this writing of Acts chapter 10, Caesarea has more Gentiles that live in it than Jewish people. And so for many devout Jews, they viewed this city as a place that existed within Israel, but was not really a part of Israel, right? Similar maybe to the way at times that people from rural Oklahoma might view Tulsa, of like, well, yeah, like my family in western Oklahoma, there's times they'll tell me like, I mean, I know it's in Oklahoma, but you know you're not Okies, right? And they'll, they'll make it very clear to me that there's a divide. That same thing was happening in Israel of you might be here, but you're not part of us. Now, in addition to the location of the story, we're also introduced to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion, which means he's a Roman soldier. And so what what is happening here is God is setting the table to say, Peter, as a devout Jewish person, early church leaders, as devout Jewish men and women, I'm going to arrange the circumstances of a place you hate with a person you despise to teach you the lesson that the gospel is for everyone, everywhere. And so, so if you think of the most outrageous person, the most outrageous location where you would have a difficult time understanding that they could be your brother and sister in Christ, that's the setting of Acts chapter 10, verse 1. That opening line will get the attention of any devout Jew, will get the attention of everyone who puts their faith in Christ from that point on. Now, it's also an an invitation for us to remember today that prejudice remains a reality in our world. It's not unique to America. It's not unique to our part of the country. It doesn't depend on your race. It doesn't depend on your religion, your economic status, your education level. But any human heart contains the potential to be prejudiced towards those who are different from them. If we had time this morning, we could hear stories of what it looks like in India, of what that looks like in Africa, of what that looks like in South America. Anywhere people breathe, prejudice exists. Now, the hope of the church is when we say yes to Jesus, that these old walls of division and discrimination will immediately be destroyed and never have power in our lives again. That's what we long for, it's what we hope for, it's what many of us are striving for, and yet, if we're honest, we're going to admit that even though I follow Jesus and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, I still face the temptations of division that exist in the culture in which I live. And so while you are fully and finally and perfectly a son or daughter of God through the work of Jesus Christ, there are still spaces where Jesus is working to peel off the effects of the culture in which you live and remake you in the image of his kingdom. 
And so if, if you don't understand that, maybe Dr. Stanley Horton will help you. In his commentary on Acts 10, he says, It was obvious from the beginning of the church that being converted to Christ and even being baptized in the Holy Spirit did not automatically remove the prejudices that people grew up with. Dr. Horton goes on to explain, as Acts chapter 10 will show, that prejudice seeks a home in every heart and most often finds one. Now, I, I get why that's hard because nobody wants to stand up and be like, you know what I really struggle with? I really struggle with liking people who are different than me. You know what I really enjoy? I enjoy segregating myself away from everybody who's not exactly like me. You know what my favorite pastime is? Surrounding myself only with people who look like me, talk like me, think like me, smell like me, eat like me, and act like me. Nobody wants to make that admission, and yet what we see in the scriptures, and if we're honest in our own experience, what we know is every point of difference the enemy attacks to become a point of division. And so we have to acknowledge prejudice is not just a problem out there, but it can be a problem in here and in here as well. It's a challenge that every local church must continually confront and that every individual believer must repeatedly acknowledge that the natural inclination of our heart is to separate from those who are different than us. Now, I've, I've done this long enough to know that every time we talk about prejudice or discrimination or racism in the church, inevitably there is, is someone who has this thought, and, and you might be entertaining it right now, of, hey, that's true, and I'm glad we're doing this, and, and I really hope the people around me are listening, and you've already thought of one or two people that you're going to email a podcast link to of, hey, I think the Lord would like you to listen to this message, you terrible racist, right? And, but, but before you do it, even in that, but you're thinking individually of, but for me, I don't have a prejudiced bone in my body. I love everyone. I'm colorblind. I don't care about different languages. I enjoy celebrating diversity. There's nothing I love more than eating food I've never eaten before, than traveling to new places. Now, that, that might all be true, but what I've discovered is, is whenever someone says, I don't have a prejudiced bone in my body, what they've actually revealed is how little they know of themselves and how unaware they are of the enemy's deceptions. And unfortunately, what I've also found in the church, conversations with fellow pastors, with other church leaders, with believers in different contexts and different nations, with members of Christian chapel, with members of my own family, my close friends, is that usually whenever somebody says, I don't have a prejudiced bone in my body, it's often followed with a request that the church would stop talking about racism and discrimination and segregation and prejudice and all of these forms of division. And the undertone is, that's not our problem, that's just a made-up political agenda. And so what I, I hope you'll understand this morning is Acts chapter 10 was written long before the formation of the Republican or Democratic parties. Right? Can, are we all okay? I know just saying those words puts some of us on edge, but are we, are we all okay admitting that reality? Yes, Peter precedes Donald Trump, okay? Yep, Cornelius, he precedes Joe Biden. So we'll just, we'll say all your trigger words, we'll get them all out, and then we're going to come back to the center, and we're going to remember we are people formed by the scriptures, 
We're people who submit to the authority of the Scriptures. And if the Scriptures tell me that I have an inclination to build walls and create division with those who are different from me, then my only response is, Lord, forgive me and reveal that to me. And we have to settle into that space and understand prejudice doesn't just seek a home in everyone else's heart, but prejudice seeks and often finds a home in my own heart. And if if you don't think that's the case for you this morning, I, I would encourage you to think back to the last time you found yourself in a position where you were just completely out of your element and things were not going well for you. Because what we always find is in positions of discomfort, in cultures where we don't know how everything works, where maybe we don't understand the language, where things are done differently than how we should do them, in that moment, what begins to rise up is this sense of, if this nation would just get on board with how I do things, things would be better. If this group of people would just let me control it, things would fall in line. And in that space, what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us is even when we walk with Jesus and even when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the enemy will still continue to attack, to divide us along every line that culture has created. And so our response as followers of Jesus is to acknowledge the reality of prejudice and to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to transform our hearts and minds. And the way the Holy Spirit does that is by speaking to us about the people that we don't like and helping us see that God loves them deeply and has a plan for them. So as you keep working through Acts chapter 10, you come to verse 2 and 3, and it says, He, meaning Cornelius, Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now, Cornelius would have been, or Cornelius, again, he's, he's a Roman soldier. He's kind of the epitome of everything somebody like Peter, someone like Peter would have hated and would have despised. But here we see God making an effort to reveal himself to Cornelius, which forces us to to confront this idea that Jesus loves the people we don't like. So so you can think of them whoever they are. For Peter, it would have been uh, Gentiles, and then underneath Gentiles, it would have been Romans, and then underneath Romans, it would have been Roman soldiers, and underneath Roman soldiers, it would have been Roman commanders. These were the men he'd been taught his entire life, we hate them, and we can't wait to kick them out of our country by whatever means necessary. We'll kill them if we have to, but we believe there's going to come a day where we get to drive them out and rejoice in their demise. And when Peter watches Roman soldiers arrest Jesus, when he watches them participate in his crucifixion, when he watches Roman soldiers nail Jesus to a cross and plunge a spear into his side, that hatred and disdain, that feeling that they are outside and not welcomed in would have been solidified over and over and over again. And yet in Acts chapter 10, the story we see is that Jesus doesn't hate the Roman soldiers like Peter hates them. Jesus isn't waiting to kick them out and destroy them, but Jesus is actively working to draw them into the kingdom. And so what it reminds us of this morning is the people that we dislike the most, God loves 
deeply. The person that annoys you with their very existence, God longs for them to be in his family. The person who has hurt or harmed you in deep and painful ways, Jesus died for them and longs to forgive them and welcome them into his family. And so when we read the story of Peter and Cornelius, we anchor ourselves first in the position of Peter. And we're asking the question, Lord, who do I view as outside your kingdom? What person, what people group, what individual, what nation, what religion do I view as those that we don't ever even need to try? We can just leave them out there. But the the other place we have to put ourselves in the story of Peter and Cornelius is in the position of Cornelius. And you have to understand that, that you are Cornelius to someone else. When we read this story, for every non-Jewish person in the room, which I'm confident to say is almost every single one of us, we are the Gentiles who were at one time excluded from the participation in the worship of God. We are Cornelius. We're the ones that Peter would have looked at and said, I don't know that they can come in and worship like I worship. I don't know that they're welcome to come and have full participation as I do. Beyond that, you're not just Cornelius because you're a Gentile. You're also Cornelius because there are people in the world right now who look at you and think, if they're in the kingdom, I don't want to be there. And now, now I know that's challenging because we all assume we are universally loved and celebrated. Right? Like I, I, I just kind of live with this naive understanding that everyone likes me. And sometimes, shockingly, it's revealed that they don't, right? And, and generally when they don't, I, I just assume it's, you know, it's just because they don't know me. Like if they just knew me, they would like me. I just need to talk to them. I bet I can convince them. And, and some of us, we, we live in that way. But, but what Acts chapter 10 is forcing us to confront is this idea that there are people out there who hate you precisely because you are you. They do know you and they still don't like you. They have spoken with you, and it affirmed they do not want to be around you. They know your story, and they hate every part of it. They understand your gifts, and they are not impressed by them. Right? They know what you think of yourself, and they disagree on every single point. There are people in the world who look at you, and your very existence annoys them. Right? They hear your voice and the hairs on their back of their neck begin to stand up. You walk into a room and their blood pressure rises. They see your face and they wonder what it would feel like to punch it. Right? They're just, you are, I am Cornelius. And thankfully, my entrance into the kingdom does not, dep- uh, does not depend on their approval of me. Now, these, these might be, hopefully, they're not people you know dearly. Like, I hope you're not living with anyone right now who's like, you just described my husband. That's exactly how I feel about that bum. That's not like, get some counseling, get some prayer, let's, let's make some progress there, right? But, but it, it could be people you work with, it could be people who live in your neighborhood, people you've had disagreements with. Sometimes it's people you don't even know because of the, the part of the world you're from, because of the part of the country you live in. Right? Because of the language you speak or the color of your skin, there may be people who look at you and think, if they're in God's kingdom, I don't want to be in it. 
But the message of Acts chapter 10 is it doesn't really matter how much other people are trying to discriminate or exclude you because in Christ you have been brought in. And Jesus is actively displaying his love to every single person. And so if I'm on the side of Peter, I better learn to start liking the people I don't like because if Jesus loves them, he's in the process of bringing them in. And if I'm in the side of Cornelius, I'm going to remember, well, I don't really care what they think about me because I've heard what Jesus says and I know I'm a full participant in his kingdom. And so we understand Jesus loves the people we don't like. As you keep working through Acts 10, you see Jesus also speaks to the people we don't like. Verse 3 it says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him and had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So again, we see Jesus speaks to the people we don't like. Jesus was not convinced or content with Cornelius having a lifelong experience of just being devout and God-fearing. But he wanted to welcome Cornelius in as a full participant in the body of Christ. And to be a full participant in the body of Christ, God not only needs to connect Cornelius to Jesus, he needs to connect Cornelius to the body of Christ, which is all of the other believers, including Peter. And so Peter's job in this story is twofold. One, he's going to show up and tell them about Jesus. And two, he's going to extend the first hand of fellowship to Gentile believers and let them know you are not second-class citizens, you are not secondary members of the church, but you are full participants with me. And when Jesus begins to speak to the people we don't like, the first thing he's speaking to them is a revelation of himself and an invitation into the community of believers. And so what that means for you and me today is if there are people that we think, you know what, I'm okay with God saving everyone. I'm even okay with him bringing the people I don't like into the church. I just would rather he not bring them into this church. I'm okay with God saving my coworker, and maybe they even come to Christian chapel, but I don't want them in my home group. I don't want them to attend the same service that I attend. And yet what we're learning in Acts chapter 10 is if God is speaking to someone, he's speaking so that his purposes will be accomplished. And his purpose is to unite them to Christ and to unite them to other believers, including those believers who are least likely to welcome them in. And so, again, it's just, it's a not-so-gentle reminder from the Holy Spirit of God is actively bringing people into a relationship with him. And if he is speaking to people I don't like, then I need to just wrap my mind around it and get used to it. Because really what God is doing is he's just out there actively trying to adopt the people you don't like and make them your brother and make them your sister. I mean, can you, so I know at Christian Chapel, we've got so 
many young families and so many babies, and every time I turn around, I, I see another pregnant lady walking by, or I hear another story of another family that's growing, and it's always fun, and it's great to celebrate, and Angie and I, we love to hold the babies, we love to celebrate with them, uh, but, but it seems like recently there's a lot of families who are making that transition from um, one kid to two kids, and if you've been through that tra- transition in your own house, you know it's, it's traumatic, Right? Like, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful blessing from the Lord that is like a bomb going off in, in all of your life. Of just one to two is not double the work, it's like ten times the work. But as hard as it is on mom and dad, the transition from one to two typically is hardest on the one. Right? That only child who got all the, how many firstborns do we have in the room? How many firstborns do we have who had a little brother or sister who ruined the good life you had? Right? <laughs> Several of you. Just every, every, some of you are sitting by your sibling. They're like, stop. You're still a jerk, right? Like, just trying to work through that. But, but there's that moment, and you see it. This morning, I saw one of our young families, and, and mom's got the new little baby swaddled, and there's a the little three-year-old running by, just like, what is going on? What happened? I was the center of the attention. I was the center of the world. And then this kid showed up, and they started paying attention to him. And they started, and suddenly I wasn't the center of the universe any, anymore. And some of us, we have that fear of, well, if God brings in the people I don't like, is he going to pay less attention to me? Is he not going to listen to my prayers anymore? Is he not going to be with me anymore? And, and obviously we understand from the scriptures that God is fully capable of being fully invested in your life and fully invested in their life. But, but what we're learning in Acts chapter 10 is they're coming, so you better just get used to it. And not only are they coming, but sometimes their arrival is going to challenge you because it's directly confronting your deeply, maybe unknowingly held prejudices that reside in your heart. You know, maybe, maybe not, not so much like a, a firstborn and a secondborn. Maybe it's more like if your parents came home in elementary school and said, Hey, buddy, you know that kid who's been beating you up on the playground every day? You know, the one who rubs your face in his spit after he, you know, the the one who just sits on you and tackles you. Good news. We've adopted him and he's going to be your brother and share your room. Right? Imagine as a a teenage girl, you you come home week after week and you're telling your parents about this mean girl you go to school with and all the horrible things she said and the rumors she spreads about you and they're working through it. And then one day your, your parents come in and they say, sweetie, good news. You know, the mean girl, she's, she's your sister. We built bunk beds. You guys, are, you're just going gonna, gonna to live together. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. Right? Imagine, as an adult, imagine if that, that work rival that you have, imagine if that person you despise the most, you go home for a family, Christian and or family Christmas, and your grown parents come to you and you're like, hey, you know that guy you hate that you're always telling us about? We found out his family had died, so we actually did an adult adoption. We brought him into our family, and he's going to share the inheritance with you. Like, is there any one of us that would be like, yeah, I really, I, I felt like I needed to be stretched in my understanding of Christ's love. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. No, we would all be furious. We would all wonder what's going on. And yet in Acts chapter 10, what God is saying and what he's preparing the church to understand is the people you don't like and that you long to be separated from the most are being drawn into God's kingdom. And any place where God is speaking, people are going to respond to him. And so if you really embrace the reality that God speaks to people I don't like, then it means you need to start figuring out how to like them because they're about to be your brothers, they're about to be your sisters, and you're all going to have to get along. 
And so we have to begin to lay these things down. But again, we, we don't do this on our own. You see, Jesus doesn't just speak to the people that we don't like, but he also starts to talk to us about the people we don't like. So Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 22, it's our, our longest passage for this morning. The story shifts to Peter. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the rooftop to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, as, as you read through that passage, there, there's a lot going on. Right? And so much that, that we don't have time to get into all the details of it this morning. To, to summarize, though, part of Peter being a devout and God-fearing Jew was that he embraced the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And so as Jewish people, there were all of these laws about how they worshipped and what they ate and what they wore and where they would go and where they wouldn't go and certain days and festivals that were holier than others and they were going to observe them. And all of these were part of what it meant to be a follower of God. And now, as followers of Jesus, Peter is still embracing all of these old customs and all of these old laws. And God is beginning the process of helping Peter and the early church understand that Jesus Christ was the perfect and final sacrifice, not only for all of our sins, but he also satisfied all of the, the, the ritualistic and the ceremonial aspects of the law. That we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. That we don't have to observe every feast and every festival. That you can mix your linens and not worry about if you're pleasing God or not. That you can eat goat that's been cooked in milk and still be okay with the Lord, right? That you can enjoy your shrimp and your bacon and still walk with Jesus. Now, in Peter's understanding, all of this is mind-blowing. And so God comes to him and he says, Peter gives him this vision of all of these animals and tells him, get up and kill and eat. And it's not God making a statement on if we're supposed to be carnivores or vegetarians or not. It's God teaching Peter the rules by which you have lived that you think determine who's in and who's out no longer apply. And the only rule that remains is those who are in Christ Jesus are in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, no longer slave nor free, but God has destroyed every wall of division and separation and given us all equal access to the Father. And Peter responds with all the faith of an early church leader, No, Lord, I will not do that. 
And it's, I don't know if you caught it or not. It says it happens three times. Three times God says, get up, kill and eat. Nope, never going to do it. Peter, don't call anything impure that I've called clean. Get up, kill and eat. Nope, Lord, not going to do it. Peter, stop it. Get up, kill and eat. Don't call it impure if I've called it clean. No, Lord, I'm really not going to do it. And so what, what we're learning is that prejudice is deeply rooted in our hearts. And it is hard for it to be revealed, and it is hard for it to be removed. But when God begins to speak, our response is a place of submission, surrender, and a willingness to repent and be different. And we'll see this next week when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house. He tells him, the Lord has shown me that I cannot call anything impure that he has called clean. Right, and, and kind of retroactively, you want to be like, Peter, he actually showed you that three times. Right? It, t- it took you a while, but you eventually got it. But what we want to understand this morning is if we're following Jesus and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will still speak to us about the places where prejudice still resides. And so Jesus still speaks to us about the people we don't like. And the message he speaks is not, they are terrible, you're okay. The message he speaks is, those are my sons and those are my daughters. Do not call impure the things that I've called clean. The message he speaks is, every tribe and every tongue and every nation will gather around the throne in worship. The message that he speaks is his kingdom is one that exists for every person, everywhere, for all of time. The message that he speaks is the only thing that keeps someone out of the kingdom is sin. And that's it. And when sin is repented of, they are welcomed in to the kingdom. And so as we begin to hear God speaking to us about places where maybe we've let prejudice reside, as he begins to reveal there are still forms of discrimination that we knowingly or unknowingly embrace. There are still places where we tend to acknowledge our differences and elevate ourselves over those who are different than us. These are not places to be excused or ignored. They are places to fall to our knees in repentance and say, Lord, forgive me for letting these things live in me. And as you reveal them, will you root them out of my life? And will you move me from a place of division and separation to a place of embrace and inclusion of everyone who confesses their sins and takes their place as the sons and the daughters of God? And then for for this morning, where we're going to end is in Acts chapter 10, verse 23 where it says, Then Peter invited these men into his house to be his guests. And what we remember this morning is that Jesus isn't just speaking to them, and he's not just speaking to us, but he's connecting us to the people we don't like, to the point that they become people we like. The goal of the work of Christ is connect each individual to Jesus and to connect each individual to the body of Christ. And so that means we are not just moving towards a place of begrudging acceptance. We're not just moving into a space where we're happy for people who are different than us to exist on the fringes of Christian community. We're not just living in the place where we exist in Tulsa and we think, well, we will worship the Lord the way we like to in our culture here. And if you don't like that, maybe start your own church in another part of town and you worship him the way you like to there. 
but instead that what defeats division and what defeats discrimination and what defeats segregation and what defeats prejudice and what defeats racism and what defeats every other form of evil that the enemy has brought into our lives is the work of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the hospitality of the church. As individual believers, we must move to the point that we will throw open the doors of our home to people that we previously would not want anything to do with. As a local church, we must be a place where we throw open the doors of our gatherings to everyone everywhere and say, you're welcome in here. The local church should be the most beautifully diverse collection of people in the world. In every community where the church exists, it should be the most diverse institution in that community. There should be more languages spoken in the church than in any other gathering of people in a particular city or a particular place. Now, we, we cannot apply statistics. We can't say when we hurt, hit certain percentage, then we've arrived at the diversity of the kingdom. We're going to recognize that a diverse church in Montana is going to look different than a diverse church in Miami, Florida. We're going to understand that a diverse church where we are looks different than a diverse church where someone else is. But at at a bare minimum, a church should reflect or exceed the diversity of their context and of their community. But that only happens as God's people allow him to speak to them about the people that they don't like. And it's not always fun. It's not always easy. And sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's uncomfortable. And it will include expressions of repentance. It will include changes in direction, but ultimately it will include our connection to each other and to the Father. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for us today. The band's gonna come back. They're gonna lead us in the last song. Just reminds us of the power of Jesus to unite us together. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come to you today and we submit our lives to the authority of Scripture and to the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray for those who are with us in person or online who've not surrendered their lives to you. Today, Lord, will you begin to draw them into repentance, to the confession of their sins and receiving Jesus as their Savior. As they do, Lord, may they make that wonderful transition from death to life and find the freedom and wholeness that you're offering to them. Lord, for those of us who said yes to you, we come to you today inviting the work of your Holy Spirit to shine light into the darkest, most painful and uncomfortable parts of our heart. If there are places or spaces, Lord, where we as individuals or we as a church have adopted prejudice, discrimination, have embraced division or separation, in unholy and unchristlike ways. Today we ask, Lord, that you would reveal those sins and you would lead us to repentance. And Lord, will you take us from repentance and begin to lead us into inclusion and embrace, to welcoming, celebrating, and embracing the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ where men and women and teenagers and children from every tribe and every language, from every nation and every background, surrender their lives to you and take their place as your sons and your daughters and our brothers and sisters. Jesus, forgive us if we have been deceived and settled for anything less than what you died to accomplish. Today, Lord, we come to celebrate 
that we are welcome in your family because of what you've done. And we want to extend that same invitation to everyone everywhere. So Lord, you know our situations and you know the status of our relationships. If there are people, if there are people groups, if there are classes of people, if there are races of people, if there are individuals that we don't think we can be in the kingdom with, today will you shine your light into that darkness and will you begin a deep work of freedom in our hearts, in our minds, that shows itself in our relationships. Jesus, we long for your kingdom to come and your will to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. And so this morning, Lord, we recognize that that kingdom is always going to be beautifully diverse and open to every single person. So Lord, transform our hearts and minds. Make us into a hospitable people who are ready to welcome and to celebrate all that you are drawing to yourself. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.